coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. News about Stanley's Pow Entertainment in China. TVB and Ron Howard's Imagine strikes a production deal. Founding of an Army gets a boost from Chinese theaters. And our films this week, Mao, Mao, and War for the Planet of the Apes. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk in a potato field on the planet Meow is Mr. Kevin Ma. Get me out of here, Paul. Get me out of here. <laughs> Do Hello, not want sir. to be here at this moment. Hello. How, how are you doing? I'm all right. How about yourself? I'm great. I'm great because <laughs> I was actually able to make... The five-hour commitment this week and actually get down to see the East Screen movie that we're going to be talking about. So if you can hear that tinge of excitement in my voice, it's because I was actually able to make the trek. Um, The the stars aligned, the planets converged, or something in the universe happened. And uh, I just had, it was the right day, the right time. I had family in, um, you know, to look after our little one and to make sure my wife was okay. And my wife gave me the go-ahead and uh, it was a long drive. And it was worth it. I had the entire theater to myself because nobody else wanted to watch this thing. Private screening. And it was great. Uh, I had a good time. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> Can't believe your wife, your wife should have stopped you on principle. Really? <laughs> I, the Enway movie? Yeah, go ahead. But for me, what, what's the movie you're going to watch again? Meow? What the hell? <laughs> well, that was, that was, kinda, that was her reaction <laughs> after I came home. And she was like, well, what did you see? And I showed her... The poster over on Hong Kong Movie Database <laughs> with the, you know Lewis and his bad wig and the uh, the the cat. But we're going to talk more about Meow in a little bit. We do have some news to get to first. So as always, I'll throw it back over to Kevin at the news desk with this week's news. All right, here at the news desk, uh, let, let's get through this quickly so we can get to this movie. Um, first, uh, some news out of uh, China. Um, a Chinese company called Linking Star Pictures has uh, inked a development deal with uh, Stanley's POW Entertainment. And that's POW in capital plus exclamation. So I don't know if I did the exclamation mark justice. But anyway, uh, yeah, the new Beijing-based company, uh, un- which was unveiled Monday in Beijing, um announced that it has created a uh, development deal with the company, the U.S. company, to create five superhero figures and quote-unquote associated projects. Uh, What does this mean? I guess it means that uh, 
the creative people behind the company, probably not Stanley anymore. Stanley, I don't think he does a lot of any creative work anymore. I think it's just a sort of a, a, a figurehead, so to speak. I guess they're going to develop uh, these projects with the company in China and try to make films. And uh, well, let me let me let me try to read this out. Um, the um, I guess film, television, games, virtual reality, animation, live events, tours, comics, and publishing. Um, so. Yeah, but the thing is, I I think this is not the first time that Pow um, uh, has uh, a, struck a deal in China. I've read something about other deals before, but nothing has come to fruition. Um, it's very difficult to do superheroes in China because, well, Xinhua, the official news agency in China, uh, a couple weeks ago, just released a new um, uh, a list of sort of official phrases that you should use and apparently you know we can't even say the words um we have a, we have a phrase when we to use uh for for best actor winners yang dai which is like the the the, the king of uh, emperor of film it's, i know it's very odd but yeah and this is a term that we usually in hong kong pop, uh, media use for best actor winners yang hao is a queen of film for uh for 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 best actress winners and that phrase has been banned so it's clear that they're very much cracking down on sort of naming using these super hyperboles or extraordinary terms. Uh, China's always been uh, sort of um, they always um, was sort of frowned upon supernatural beings because uh, there are no supernatural beings in a socialist country. That is that is I'm serious. They don't allow superpowered people um, in China. Um, so so it's very odd that they keep trying to do superhero films in China in a country where they don't allow superheroes. Um, they they let the uh, Marvel movies in China because they're not Chinese. They're Americans. So Americans can have superheroes. But no, in a, in a socialist paradise, you cannot have superheroes. Everyone is equal. Um, but anyway, that, that, that's the deal. I, I'm not. So again, I, I'm really not sure if anything's going to come out of this, these so-called deals, these these development deals. Nothing has really come to fruition yet. As far as I know, there's been few of these type of deals. So um, just take it uh, just to get face value, I suppose. You know, it's interesting. It, it's a slightly off-related bit of news. I saw somewhere, I think on Facebook or something, a bit of news that uh, there's a company in China that's basically created an Ultraman movie without getting the rights to Ultraman, right? Uh, have you heard that? Uh, that's that's very complicated. Um, so they claim, this company came, claimed that they bought the rights from uh, Tiga Entertainment uh, Hong Kong. It's a company based in Hong Kong. They hold the rights. Uh, and actually, um, the people who are suing this company in China is the estate of the creator. And it's interesting because they have tried to sue multiple countries for the rights to the character. And actually, even Japanese courts and the Chinese courts have ruled against them. They said they hold cert rights to certain versions of the Ultraman character, but this Tiga Entertainment holds rights to other forms of the Ultraman character. And therefore, I guess the Chinese company that bought the rights from Tiga, I guess they're using a very specific variation of Ultraman. So therefore, the Chinese court have allowed them to use the character in this film. Um, so it's a very complicated thing. Um, and, and it's interesting that even the creator, the, the, the company actually even lost the case in Japan. And so, I mean, is this falling into that sort of it's a foreign superhero kind of thing, so it's it's okay, kind of like the Marvel heroes and the DC hero movies, right? I suppose Pussy's from space. 
So, <laughs> you know, he's not Chinese. Much like um, the cat so... we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yes, and a cat is not a superhero, so it's okay. Plus, it takes place in 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 uh in this devious place called Hong Kong. Hong Kong so, yes. I mean, that's why. What's that? What was that? Um, Benny, the other terrible Benny Chan movie about superpowered thing beings. What was that movie called? City Under Siege. I guess. Well, they're not <laughs> superheroes. They're just like. They're they're like people who are affected by industrial accidents or something yeah. like that, or, or and, some kind of and Japanese science. experimentation and oh, yeah, waste Japanese or spread, something. That's why <laughs> blame the Japanese and therefore you can have superheroes. But plus that film took place in like in a in an undisclosed city that might or may not be Hong Kong. I don't know, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it's it's all very specific and a lot of loopholes. But anyway, it's, so it's weird that he keep trying to. So there is no actual Chinese superhero film, mm. as far as I can remember. Uh, so I don't know how this is gonna go. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think that uh, they're they're kind of taking this hardline stance. I remember we've talked about this before in years past. They of of course the ban on supernatural ghost stories um, has been in place a while, and it's still in place. And we've talked about that, and we've discussed films that try and skirt the issue because they say it's a you know it's a it's a psychological thing, you know, at the last minute or things like that. Um, I mean, we we can look at films. There's like, also Scooby Doo. There's like, also Scooby Doo. Their way out of it. Scooby Doo, right? But, uh, but there was a time when they said no time travel, right? Uh, time travel is is yeah. banned. But then we get a film like Duckweed earlier this year, and so I guess there are you know ways to finagle them ar- around those rules as well. So well, this du- kind of stuff Duckweed, comes and goes, right? Well, Duckweed was very specific in in how it was vague about the time traveling. You know what I mean? Like it were they were specifically intentionally vague about what whether the character really traveled in time or not. Plus the way he traveled back in time, not exactly scientific. Yeah, getting I hit mean, by train is not a scientific way to travel back in time, right? That's true. That's true. But I mean, it's um, you know, it's it's still it's still an interesting application of of, of censorship here that to say you know uh, well you know you can't have uh certain names for certain superheroes um, but then we'll throw out something like league of gods right and it's like well that's okay because it's chinese historical fantasy mythology thing right yeah it's like a mythology thing and it takes place way before the communists came to power so i guess in communist communists makes everyone lose their superpowers but if you create something like if you turn a chin emperor into like a superhero maybe that that's okay mm. chin man I All right. Well, I don't know. I, that's you know, I'm not working for power entertainment, so clearly I don't know my superheroes. We will keep you appraised of uh, you know what what exactly extends from this, and, you know, and and what kind of heroes they create. I, have you did you read the uh, the Chinese version of uh, Superman that they launched last year, Kevin? At all? No, I don't really read comic books. I'm yeah, uh, uh, they did something when they rebooted the universe um, with the rebirth thing. And um, something happened to one of the the Superman from the New 52, I guess, and his powers got transferred to this kid in China, in in Shanghai, and he's the new Superman. Um, uh, and you know, it's it, I read the first issue. I haven't gone back, so I'm waiting for to, to catch up on some trades, and hopefully they can get a little bit more originality and with this stuff. And who knows, maybe we'll see movies come out of this, right? You have me going like 
Kebasa? Like two minutes, three minutes ago. Sorry. So I'm like Chinese Superman. Like, what the? <laughs> Surreal. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, there is no real experience of writing sci fi, superhero, or fantasy, things like that in China. I mean, yeah, you could say League of Gods, but you know, how many years ago was, was Feng Shenbang? I mean, how many, how many years ago was that, right? And that was never meant to be like a, like a, like a superhero thing, like the way that, you know, the West imagined superhero. And I can imagine that when when chinese audience they want superhero they're thinking like marvel they're thinking like iron man they're thinking like whatever right and iron man it's not exactly uh i guess iron man would work as a superhero in china because he's not a he doesn't have superpowers he's just super rich yeah he's like a batman right and probably studied in 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 america and then got a master's degree and then came back to china to make the country better and then find himself needing a fake heart for its core anyway that you know i just that the thing writes itself Really? Do you know what ever happened to uh, the Three Body Problem movie? Did did that not get, <laughs> get released? Or <laughs> I it, it probably got canceled because what they shot was so crappy. I mean, mm. that's why I heard they ran out of funding or something like that. Yeah. So just like the last update, we mentioned this before in the show, like the company uh, ran out of funding and the films, I think it's been shot, but turns out everything was too crappy and mm. it's never going to see a live day. Oh, so it's it's like that other movie. That that big huge budget Avatar like thing, right? That got filmed but nobody will ever see. Yeah, I mean, we're just always a few projects like that in China. So I'm not exactly which way you're talking about. <laughs> it, 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 uh, I can't remember the name. It's like this big under. It was supposed to be like China's Avatar. Yeah, and they yeah. they they shot all this stuff and like they had massive sets and and uh, you know. and there's like five directors, right? Yeah, they like brought people in from the states, and then it, it bounced around, and it's just, they've got lots of stills and images from it, and it's just never going to see the light of the day, apparently. Hashtag Chinese cinema. <laughs> All right, let's talk about another uh, industry of interest: TVB. Yes, uh, so Imagine Entertainment. Uh, co-founded by Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, his producer, they have uh, set a hundred million U.S. hundred million uh, hundred million U.S. dollars television production financing venture with TVB Hong Kong's TVB. Um, what does this joint venture do? No idea. Apparently, this joint venture will quote unquote expand Imagine's TV operations on a global scale and allow the company to retain ownership of its content for the first time. So, Imagine has, I guess, they are used to um, doing productions for other companies. So, Imagine, I think, is behind a lot of great, you know, TV shows. I think Arrested Development is an Imagine production. I think. Um, Genius, which was uh, directed by Ron Howard, is also um, an Imagine production. But um, this seems to be uh, a chance for them to make their own television program and sell it on their own terms. Um, What does this mean for... I don't think this is... This means that Ron Howard will be producing TVB shows. I don't think that that Ron Howard is going to be producing anything for Hong Kong market. It almost seems like TVB is going to help invest in their shows and make money off of it. Um, and yeah, um, it's pretty vague right now. It this TVB co-financing pad is a 50-50 joint venture um, between TVB and and, and Imagine. Um, uh, there is absolutely no details about what kind of shows they're going to make or what what shows are going to be made under this deal. So again, it's all very vague, just like a lot of these Chinese financing deals tend to be. 
Um, so who knows what's going to come out out of this deal. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath uh, for this to mean TVB is going to get better programming. I think they're just trying to make money out. They just want to get their hands into American television. But uh, I don't think this is going to have any impact on local programming. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. Did you watch Legal Mavericks? No. Have you been watching it? No, I haven't. I'm just wondering if it if it's gotten any buzz over there or, you know, if it was uh, because they, I watched, they don't have any. I, I, watched, I did watch about five minutes of it, actually. I caught about five minutes of it. Um, the beginning, because that's about how long I could stand that show. I watched <laughs> about five minutes in the first episode and it was just, again, unbelievably in stupid. <laughs> And, and you know, the first episode of TV shows are always well-produced mm. because it's the first episode and, you know, it's when the directors are still sort of into it. <laughs> but but then they get lazy along the way and it always turns really crappy. So production-wise, I guess it's okay, but the writing and the directing and the, and the acting, it's all really terrible. Um, it almost seems like people with vision trying to imagine a really bad idea of how blind people act. Huh, I wonder why. Mm. Um, so that's what it is. And and I don't, like I said, I don't think, I almost want to say imagine, but it would be a bad pun. I almost think that, that I, I pretty much think that this deal will not affect TVB at all, but it will be good for their for their uh, um, financials, I suppose. Mm. So for if you're out there listening and you're not familiar with uh, Legal Mavericks, this is the retitling of a thing we talked about uh, many episodes back it's called Unlawful Daredevil. Justice Squad. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a TVB take on the Daredevil. And uh, you can check out, if you're interested in that kind of thing, you know, look at the trailer out over on for the series over on YouTube, and you can probably find other places to, to watch it. I think it's I think it finished airing. I think it aired back in June. And I, it was only like a 28 or something episode run. Uh, but yeah, if you're kind of still into TVB and you're interested in what their take on uh, a Daredevil kind of thing, you know, uh, check it out. Wait, we're not. We probably shouldn't say Daredevil because that may get them sued. Mm, yeah. Because then that was like that's like us recognizing that oh, TVB is probably copying Daredevil, okay. but we don't want to, you know, not, not we don't Daredevil. want to suggest, we don't want to imply anything. It just happens to be a lawyer who is blind and have super super ability and you know has heightened senses and solves crimes. Yeah. There yeah. You go. There you go. All right. Uh, on back to China, we've got some news about the founding of an army. That's right. Founding of an army is the propaganda film made by August 1st Studio. August 1st Studio is the film production unit of the People's Liberation Army. And this year, um, 19 is the 90th anniversary of Oh, sorry. Yeah, 90th. Yeah, 90th. Sorry. So uh, the PLA was established in 1927, August 1st. And of course, to commemorate the 90th anniversary of the People's Liberation Army, uh, Chinese film companies worked with August 1st to produce Founding of an Army. The film was directed by Andrew Lau. Yes, Hong Kong's Andrew Lau. Yes, Infernal Affairs Andrew Lau. Um, and it's supposed to be this big war epic, but it didn't expect to run into Wu Jing. Yes, it's opening the same weekend as Wolf Warriors 2, which we talked about a couple weeks ago in the news section because it was getting sued by uh, the production comp- one of the production companies or investors of the first film. Um, the release has gone ahead because the court actually hasn't reached a decision in that case. So the release went ahead and it opened yesterday or today along with founding of an army. Now, 
we remember the history. Uh, we remember founding. What was the first film called, Paul? Founding uh, of a nation. Founding of a republic, and then yeah, founding of a, founding of a party. Well, the second film was called Beginning of the Great Revival, yes. uh, which I almost forgot. Um, and um, we know that you know the, the, the government would want their propaganda films, these big-budget propaganda films, to do well. Um, so uh, there's been a, a memo that's been passed around the internet. It is from China Film Group, which is one of the film uh, co-producers of the film. And they also run a cinema chain. And, of course, they I think they're partly state-owned, if not completely. Um, even though they're, I think they're traded publicly, but they're partly state state owned. Um, they have issued a memo uh, to cinema, they're the cinema chains or the cinemas in the cinema chain, um, essentially ordering them to keep a forty five percent screening share for the film, which means that uh, if you have um, a hundred shows that weekend, forty five of those shows must be devoted for founding of an army. That is an immense number. Forty five percent. Imagine going to a cinema and you see um, twenty shows. And nine of those shows, nearly half the shows are for one film. Uh, so you know what kind of blanket, what, how big of a scale they're trying to reach here. Um, so it's getting a huge boost. But is it going to work? Not exactly, because I'm looking at today's box office numbers. Um, well, it's only right now, it's about 10.30 p.m., so an hour and a half to, until the day's over. But uh, right now I'm looking at uh, real real time uh, figures and of course, founding of an army opened at 2 p.m. today, not not the full day showing, but it had so it has 26.6 percent screening share, uh, which is the highest in the top 10, uh, and it made 40.6 million. But Wolf Warrior now it only had 14.5 percent of screening shares. I assume because it opened at 6 p.m. Probably it's not the official opening day yet. It's a Thursday night preview kind of thing. It's made 94.48 million. So over double the amount. Looking at tomorrow, this is the actual first full day. Cinemas are giving 41.8% of screening share to Wolf Warrior 2, but Founding of Army is only getting 35.6%. So it appears that the free market is speaking and people don't really want to watch this army film. They would rather watch Wu Jing kick ass in Africa. Um, which is, you know, it's not a complete loss for the Chinese government because it, it is a one belt, one row friendly kind of thing because they, I think Africa might be in their one belt, one row initiative. I think I, I don't quite remember, but, um, so I guess it kind of works as a soft power thing. Wu Jing takes over Africa and saves the African people with sheer, sheer kick assery. Um, <laughs> trademark but, Kevin Ma kick assery. Yeah. <laughs> sheer kickassery thank you very much um so so yeah um it, it appears that in the free market you can't really force uh people to watch your film i think um this kind of happened to uh beginning with a great revival they tried i think they were aiming for 800 million or something but at the end it fizzled out at about 400 or 300 million um they even tried to uh, as they always will they will do this, um, which is they will organize government, governmental organization will organize screenings, um, forcing people to go watch the film and it will fill up. But the thing is, the free market, people don't just don't want to pay to watch propaganda films when they can see it, you know, li- uh, free on TV. Um, so it'll be interesting a couple of days because August 1st is coming up. That's the official anniversary of the uh, of the um, establishment of the POA. So it'll be very interesting if Wolf Warrior beats 
the POA film on the POA anniversary. I'm sure the government is going to use all kinds of ways to to make sure that film win. I mean, founding of an army wins that week. So um, yeah, the next few days should be very interesting for the Chinese box office. Um, the film opens next week in Hong Kong. Um, honestly, I don't think it's going to do well. I mean, the first two films didn't do well, and having Andrew Lau is not really going to make a big difference, except earn him more criticisms by by Hong Kongers. Um, but I think i may be watching this film in the cinemas um so i'll report back i guess in a couple weeks have they done the thing that they did like with really with the first one and a little bit with the second one where they just you know picked every big name actor and player in in hong kong and china to have some kind of role or some kind of cameo to draw people in not as much they picked mostly well because this is a, such a male dominated film it's a, it's a it's a war film and it's about the poa so it's going to be they're, they're kind of confined to to sort of casting a, a all-male cast but it is it is made up of a lot of big young stars um i think this is their way of trying to appeal to the young audience who are the paying audience these days for films um they did they, they do have liu ye back again as uh, mao um and a lot of uh, former boy band members like Han Gan and I think Zhang Yixin and I think uh, Chris Wu and they all all these kids who were in Korean boy bands are in the film and a lot of young uh, young male faces are in the film so they're really trying to get the, 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 the female fans to go in and support their idols so it, it kind of it kind of dilutes the whole thing but you know any means necessary right yeah indeed did they snag Eddie Pang by chance or no I forget. I mean, that cast is so big, and I haven't really looked into it because it's it's you know for my political bias doesn't let me look too much into the film. But uh, <laughs> I'll let you know. All right, we will be reporting back on that movie sometime in the future. For now, let's take a short musical break, and we'll be back with this week's East Screen Review. Meow. And welcome back. So our e-screen review this week is the, I'm not sure, is it a pure Hong Kong film or a co-production? Because it's got a little bit of a mixed cast. But uh, it is the film based from a Mannings commercial of some, you know, in, in some way, shape, or form. I'll talk a little bit about that going forward. But it is the film called Meow. So, uh, Kevin, take us away. <laughs> take it away from me, Paul. <laughs> no. Uh there's a transformers to this like <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bad couple weeks for you <laughs> it's pretty bad okay um all right actually i'll talk about the manning's commercial thing so um last year or is it two years ago paul the manning's uh, commercial? i think it goes even back further with the cat because i was looking at um some commercial i think it's like 2014 i'm oh. i'm not i think lewis Koo came on board a little bit later but um they've got the cat and commercials that I think go back to 2014. All right. So what is this cat we're talking about and what the hell is Manning's? So Manning's is a local, it's a local pharmacy, a uh, pretty big pharmacy, very big pharmacy chain. Um, 
if you think Walgreens, but actually occupy with people, that's pretty much a Mannings. Um, anyway, for, for a series of ads, they created, or the ad agency created this cat character, a giant six-foot cat, and and he's, like, beloved by his family, and it's about, and, you know, there's small little stories about um, uh, how he helps the family out or how he heals, or when he gets sick, the family helps him. You know, it's a very heartwarming thing, and the best thing, it's only at 60 seconds apiece or 30 seconds apiece, so none of it is supposed to make sense. But anyway, the, the ads were so popular, um, it seems like, uh, a film company. Um, from what I hear, this is actually Louis Koo's pet project because Louis Koo was in a few of these ads, and and I guess it was, and he owns a film company, right? So I guess um, he decided to make a film version um, of this cat or put this cat in a film, um, and I guess telling sort of his origin story. So yes, this whole thing is because Louis Koo was in an ad for essentially the Hong Kong equivalent of Walgreens. And that's what we get. Uh, so Meow is the latest film by Benny Chan. Um, the uh, the cast includes uh, well, I wrote a fat ass cat in the notes, but <laughs> which is true. It stars a fat ass cat in a suit. Uh, well, a human in a fat ass cat suit. Uh, Louis Koo, uh, Mary Ma, uh, and a whole lot of cameos, uh, including uh, the Grasshoppers, uh, Michelle Y. Um, Pan Ho, uh, Loho Pan, Loho Pan, uh, and a bunch of other Hong Kong names. The story, uh, it turns out that cats on Earth all along have been aliens from a planet called Meow. As their civilization deteriorates, they've been waiting to take over Earth. Uh, the Maoians, as they're called, have sent their greatest warrior to Earth to begin the invasion, but an accident turns the warrior cat into a giant six-foot Badass cat. <laughs> With no power, the giant six-foot cat finds refuge in the Un family, led by former goalie and possibly dumbest man on earth, Goalie Un, played by Louis Koo. The cat tries to destroy the family for for his own benefit, but he comes to love them after all. Um, yeah, what an atrocious piece of mass entertainment, Jesus. Um. This is like the equivalent of a baby, of an adult baby talking for 100 minutes. And I'm the baby. So I'm not amused at all. Like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that if we try to talk, I don't know if you've done baby talk, Paul. I mean, it, it, for us, it's amusing. We think the babies love it. But I'm pretty sure babies hate baby talk. Because, you know, it's very condescending. It feels like you're looking down at them. It's like you're talking to their level. And the baby's probably thinking, just talk like a normal human being, dude. Like, seriously. Um, and that's what it feels like for uh, for a hundred minutes while watching Meow, um, I think it's supposed to be a live-action cartoon. Some local commentators said that it 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 it's, it mirrors the plot of Keroro, which is a very popular um, Japanese cartoon invo- involving a frog. The alien invasion plot sort of loses. It's sort of gone ha- like half an hour into the film, right? They almost completely forgot that there's this whole planet of cats waiting to invade, and then it turns into like this 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 whole family comedy thing, right? Um, the problem is that I think I think Benny Chan was supposed to do a, he was he was trying to make this live action cartoon and everything all, everything is all cartoony but instead he directs the film like a bad Wong Jing movie. Um, none of the jokes are funny. 
And Chan really doesn't have the skills to pull off like a Paddington to make this even workable on its own term. I mean, his directing has no style. I mean, that's, I mean, Chan, Benny Chan is a very worksman kind of director. He makes great action films, but his, he has no sense of style. You know what I mean? He doesn't have a distinct style in his filmmaking. I think he has a distinct style in his action, but not really in his filmmaking. And you, he can't really pull off that, that fairy tale esque tone that a film like Paddington would have. So I would buy, I don't, you know, I don't exactly buy a talking teddy bear, but at least the film sort of makes it believable that, okay, it's a fantasy. We're not supposed to live in this world, but hey, it'd be nice. You know, it's a world where everyone can talk to a talking teddy bear and no one seems to, you know, mind at all. But the film is so is so kind of out of reality, creates such a unique little world that it works. But this film is shot like a Wong Jing movie and, and it's too close to home and and it's very weird because so none of it really is real, but then it it's it's just unbelievable. It's just sort of really um, really ridiculous, really absurd. The problem with Hong Kong films is that you know Hong Kong family films is that they're always made by adults who look down on kids, and I think it's a very cultural thing in Asia at least. Um, the way that you know adults we know what we're talking, the way that you know the hierarchy works is that kids always don't know what to talk what they're talking about. Oh, we just dumb ourselves down so that kids will understand. Kids will laugh at anything, kind of thing. It's a very adult attitude, especially in Asian society. And I think Hong Kong directors, when they make films for kids, they think they have to dumb themselves down. They think that oh, we just sort of go with really juvenile humor, and they'll laugh at it, and then it'll be fine. And I think it's very condescending, and I think it's insulting. Um, you know, as as someone who has nephews and a nephew and niece couple of god kids i don't want them to watch a film like this i don't want them to be talked to like this by filmmakers you know i i'm not expecting a pixar film here but i think filmmakers hong kong filmmakers have to be more responsible than this um you know kids film should people who make kids films should take on responsibility it's a very delicate balance to strike where you want to make something that's kids will understand but then you don't want to talk down to them and you want them to come out with a lesson to learn to have learned something about the world and but at the same time you don't want to be preachy about it and not a not a lot of filmmakers have that kind of talent and i think hong kong filmmakers don't even realize that they have this responsibility when they do something make something for kids um stupid and funny are two different things so when a character acts amazingly stupid they think it's funny for kids it's not funny at all it's really not funny um and it's really stupid because no one seems to notice that there's a giant six foot fat ass cat walking around in the world right at the end of the film there's a spaceship and then you know and then the spaceship takes off and then everyone's like whoa what the world they're all like jaws drop but they they've been looking at a giant six foot fat ass cat walking around their earth Walking around the world for the last hundred minutes and no one bat an eye, like it's completely insane, like how how dumb the internal logic of this film is. I actually kept waiting for like an ET ET kind of twist, you know, like evil Chinese scientists or evil animal control people to come and take the damn cat away. It might have been a better movie, and I would actually buy that plot. But I can't buy this movie where uh, so halfway through the film the cat video becomes viral and they become like these these superstars the whole family and the big cat become superstars um which i guess is trying to mirror the the, the fame that the the cat character have the mannings ads but it's like wait a minute that is a talking that is a cat who makes expressions and is six foot tall and we should all be very very scared 
but why is why is he a superstar? I really don't understand this. Um, it, it and it's really troubling when the best joke in the film is when a female character gets punched in the eye and the continuity continuity people remembers to keep the black eye later in the scene, like in another scene. And I thought this was the best joke in the film and it's about a woman getting punched in the face. I was a bit disturbed. Um, so it just... It, 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 none of it just makes any sense and it's insulting and it spits in the face of its audience. Um, and, and it treats... My dad has always complained that Hong Kong filmmakers treats their audience like idiots. And and I think this film, and I can't say that for this film because it makes idiots look bad. So so really, this this is not just the worst film of the year. This may be the worst film of the decade because it was actually made with so much technical competence. I mean, imagine a whole team of people having to watch this film 20, 30 times in post-production. And the, the people who made... So the, so the cat actually is a man in the cat suit, and the cat head is actually a green, is completely green, and the, all the cat's expressions are done in post-production. It's done by uh, the, the the same special effects company that's doing Warriors of the Future, which is the Louis Ku uh, Lao Chen robot movie. So it's a very technical, technically competent film. The, the cat's expression... Are fine even though they kind of creep me out but the fact that they pulled it off in cg it's the, the effects are fine the problem is that you know these people have to watch this from 20 30 times and you wonder how much how, how are they feeling like are they just sort of happy they got paid doing it um you know or or you know they just like oh it's just a job they move on i don't know you know imagine watching the dailies every day and you and you know make this disastrous film and you really don't know how to react i mean how is benny chan feeling at the moment um so congratulations passion island virtual recall iceman 3d switch lost in wrestling naked human nature and all those other runners up maybe except for um uh um no, okay, it's pretty bad. Yeah, this is probably one of the worst films of the century, if not, if not like the millennia, um, the millennium. Um, it is just, a, I can't believe I gave up watching Dunkirk for this. You know, um, but anyway, that that's now it, it really blew my mind about how bad it could have been. It, it really is. Um, you know, these bad films, those bad films I talked about, you know, Passion on Virtual Recall, blah blah. They 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 kind of. They, they they amuse me in some ways, you know. They are they do make me laugh, but Meow just didn't make me laugh at all. Like I just at all, and yeah, that's that's why it's really just really terrible. Um, but Paul, don't let my that, don't let my opinion influence you. What do you think of the film? No, certainly not. Um, I had fun at this, and perhaps I'm a bit biased again because this is the first cinematic Hong Kong film I've been able to see in um, almost a year. And so, you know, take what I say here with a grain of salt, but I had fun with this film. It is a pretty bad film in terms of the the storytelling. Um, But as Kevin says, it's an amazing technical film. The film looks great. You know, it's shot in several places in Hong Kong um, when they're doing external shots. But the colors are vibrant, the cinematography... You know, it's it's a pretty film to look at, and the things they do with the cat are, I mean, I, I was I was blown away really because basically what you have for the meow suit, it's it's a Godzilla suit, okay? It is basically <laughs> the same structure as a traditional sort of Toho Godzilla suit. It's got a fat belly. It's got wide berth legs, um, you know, going up to the neck. It's got little 
you know, um, scrawny arms. So if you think of, you know, the, the traditional Godzilla suits, the way they used to look without the head and instead of fur, you put, put on, you know, the, the Godzilla rubber. It's basically that shape, that design. But then they've got the big cat head on the top. And I was going, yeah, they've got to be doing CG for this because the at sometimes it looks like it's a practical head, but other times it's like animating and it's emoting. And it's really very clean and very smooth and a lot of attention to detail with that. So, yeah, they put a lot of time and effort um, into this. And on top of that, you have this intro scene and you have this sequence at the end that happens on the planet Meow. Planet Meow is kind of like, looks like a gaseous planet, kind of like Jupiter, but it's got cat ears on the top. <laughs> so that that should be a dead giveaway going into the film. Once I saw that planet, once I saw Planet Meow right in the opening narration, I was like, okay, I know what I'm in for here. This is not a film that's meant for adults. But the problem is, as Kevin says, it's got problems when it's talking to children. Um, and there, there are a couple of these that, that I will touch on. Um, but the art direction overall and and the way this is put together is really solid, especially when I compare it to something like last year's kids' film, Girl with the Big House. Um, a bigger budget here, and I, I felt like they were trying a lot more here than in the Girl of the Big House film. And this is a film that's, again, coming out of a commercial concept. And, and I was wrong when I said 2014 because I just looked at the the original commercial run, I think, goes back to 2012. And they've had lots of other, you know, cameo characters, um, celebrities besides Louis Koo. But Louis Koo, I think, got picked up in 2015. Um, it, it may have been sooner because, I mean, this, these were massive campaigns, not just television campaigns. They had poster campaigns everywhere. And, and that's mostly when I saw uh, Louis Koo's involvement was in the posters because I wasn't watching that much TV uh, around that time. But, you, you know, I'll post some of the – they've got compilations of the commercials – I'll post some of those on the Facebook feed if you're interested. It's sort of, sort of sort of seeing the evolution of the Manning's Meow Cat. Really not a lot to do with the narrative here with him as an alien, but you can kind of see where this whole thing is kind of coming from. Um, there's one commercial with Louis Koo where he's like a soccer teacher. So, again, not the same character here, but, again, throwing in that soccer element. So little bits and pieces that they pulled out of this to create this this property. But... In the beginning, when they're at Planet, Planet Meow, it's like a super high-definition video game. Um, <laughs> the cat doesn't look like the Meow Cat. He looks like a, cat, a Meowian warrior. He's kind of like sleek and smooth and, um, you know, really like you're playing a video game almost, um, a, but a more modern variation. And so good graphics, almost Avatar-esque at times. And... You know, his name is Puddin. You know, and the, the, what was the Cantonese translation? Saimilo, right? That's the name of their warrior cat. Um, right. And in English, they call pudding, him I think. Pu yeah, pu yeah. Pudding, yeah. And so, you know, and then he becomes, when he gets to, they, they change his name because when he comes to Earth, he loses his magic warrior thing and he's going to, you know, he's somehow affected by Earth's atmosphere and he has to adopt the form of the nearest thing, which is this other cat that he sees that Louis Koo's family is supposed to take care of. It's really convoluted and really strange. And so he adopts that and he gets huge for some reason. Um, he, I guess he's like, you know, somewhat humanish sized to start with, but I mean, he gets really huge. And 
So this is when he becomes the Meow Cat, which in my version, they call them Shi Shi Li. Um, what do they call him in Cantonese, Kevin? Sai Sai Lei. Sai Sai Lei. So, yeah. And then from there, you know, he's got this idea that he's supposed to contact the elder cats of the planet and find out because they've been sending cats to Earth for years. And the emperor of Meow wants to know why the invasion hasn't gone heads because the cats come here and the humans treat them so well that they get lazy. <laughs> they don't, they don't want to take over they they basically see humans as slaves you know for taking care of them and so they figure we don't need to do anything so meow is going to take it upon himself to start by basically tearing apart this this family lewis Koo's family and then in a very creepy scene so this is where they start to have the disconnect right because you know you've got this character and it's supposed to be cute for kids but he takes a kitchen knife and he's walking around the house in the middle of the night and he's going to attack the family with a kitchen knife, right? Psycho style. And I'm just thinking, all right, guys, this is... And, and of course, things go wrong, and it gets into some slapstick humor. But I'm just thinking, this is kind of dark for little, little kids. It's kind of dumb for adults. So it's a very kind of narrow margin that I think is really going to be okay with some of, some of the storytelling that, that they're doing here. I mean, you can do slapstick comedy, you can do silly comedy, and you can have an appeal to all ages. I mean, you can look at great character actors like Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, Atkinson and stuff like that. But there's a fine line for that. You either have to have a really great character idea um, or a character actor, or you've got to have some really good gimmicks, some really good comedic physical comedy gimmicks to to pull off. And here, they kind of lack that. Um, So there's not a whole lot of gags that are extremely funny. Um, there were one or two that I think I chuckled at. But overall, this is, as a kid's film, they're really targeting, trying to target on the daughter of the family, um, who's named Yo-Yo. She has a disability. She's um, got some kind of bone deformity in one leg. And, of course, the family is trying to work hard and save money so that they, they can get her fixed. And, you know, she can't play in the sports games that she wants to and... Her classmates make fun of her, and a lot of these typical plot devices that you've you've seen in other stuff. Um, and of course, she's very happy to have this giant fat ass cat, as Kevin calls it, <laughs> in the family now to be be kind of her friend. Um, and this leads to even crazier gags where the cat tries to dress up like her mom to get her out of trouble at school. And um, I think it's Harriet Young is there as the the teacher and there's a whole thing going on there and it's just like okay i mean again they're really targeting the humor towards kids but are kids really going to be buying into the a lot of this that's part of the question um and i will tell you paul but the the most disturbing thing that happened when my screening was that i was the only one I mean, me and the two people i watched it with uh uh, um ross and 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 shelly aside from us the rest of the theater was laughing. Okay, that was this. You know, this is like the end of I Am Legend when when Will Smith realizes that he's the monster and the zombies are actually the the, the normal people. You know, it's like it's like, am I the crazy one here? <laughs> yes, you are the crazy one. <laughs> like, am I the crazy one or are these people the crazy one? I, I had an existential, I had existential, like existential crisis when I was watching this film, Paul. That's how great this film is. It it turned it, it it threw me into an existential crisis. Indeed. Well, if any film will do it, I guess it's this one. Um, and you know, the, yeah, there's other things like the cat tries to 
it's got a plot to poison the family at one point. Um, and then of course he ends up actually self poisoning himself and then he poops all over the house. And so it's going for body humor at times. Um, it, but overall, I think it, you know, the arc is such that the parent, the adults tend to be dumb. Um, there are other adult situations that come into play that, you know, like the, these guys come in and try to rob the house and then, there's a love interest from the mom's background who comes in and, and kind of takes the emphasis off the kids, which I really think this is where more of the emphasis should have been rather than on following with the parent storylines, which they do. Um, they could have, I think, more emphasis on you. The son, I don't even remember the son's name because, I mean, he's just like there. They mention his name once and then he really doesn't do anything uh, in, in the rest of the movie. You know, so the gags are kind of hit or miss. I was thinking about other movies like this. Uh, there's an old Disney movie called The Cat from Outer Space, you know, where cats are actually an alien and he comes down and he ends up being a sort of domesticated cat. But he can talk and, um, you know, they use, you know, Disney used a real cat, you know, because it was an old movie. Uh, thinking about something like Ted. Uh, also, again, as I said, comparing this with Girl of the Big House from last year. I think it's it's more entertaining as just something to look at visually than uh, Girl of the Big House was. And I did think that the girl here was a bit more charismatic as a kind of child star um, than the girl who was in, in that. But yeah, it's just such a weird thing to, to say we've got this concept from this this commercial series for a pharmacy drugstore and we're just going to take that and we're going to make it into this full production uh big movie you know um and it's just weird and you know so kevin mentioned that one of the things that happens to the family is they get youtube fame and that's really the son's job because he, he's trying to make he's going around making videos and he wants to become sort of a youtube celebrity and get um famous doing that and so they end up recreating famous cat videos. If you've seen the cat video out there with cats being there, there's a video where something about cats being scared of cucumbers, which I guess is a thing. I've, I've seen the video links on YouTube. I haven't watched a lot of them, but they sort of recreate that one. They recreate some with the meow cat chasing, uh, you know, a laser pointer. And so the, the family gets famous and then suddenly everybody starts knowing, hey, there's this this funny cat, sort of, you know, like grumpy cat style fame, except it's six foot fat ass cat. And they decide to make him do commercials and they make him do movies. And not only does the cat get to do that, but the whole family gets to do that. That's the weird thing. It's like, well, we're going to take your cat and we're going to do a sort of a a journey to the West commercial, but we're going to use the whole family in it too, right? That's part of the contractual obligation, I guess, that they work out. So they start doing all these celebrity spots and there's some, you know, attempts at sort of, sort of pop culture commercial humor there, which is weird because again, this whole thing sort of is derived from a pop culture commercial itself. But beyond that, by the time they get to the end they work up to this sort of deus ex machina thing where, all right, Meow's got to go back home to report back to the emperor. And when he leaves, they shoot down this beam and it erases everybody's memories of Meow, right? Which is dumb because 
It doesn't erase the commercials. It doesn't erase <laughs> the movies they've done. It doesn't erase all the pictures and things that are on the internet, does it? Can it actually do that? It's just, it's it's really kind of weak writing uh, by that point. But at that point, you just kind of don't much care because you're looking at this fat-ass cat, <laughs> cat suit for the whole movie. <laughs> so it's like, okay, if I'm okay with that, I'm okay with anything. Um, I... I can't say that I feel that this is like the worst film in the past 10 years because I think I would watch it again at some point uh, just for laughs and there are movies which I just find so bad and so dull that I wouldn't want to watch them again so they would fall you know somehow well below this um, you know if I again if I was going to watch to say all right I've got a decision I'm gonna watch Meow again or I'm gonna watch Girl the Big House again I think I'd watch Meow again before I'd watch Girl the Big House so in, in that kind of scaling system, um, it ranks a little bit higher. Maybe not much higher, but a little bit. And th those two films do have uh, a little bit in common because they both feature Grasshopper. I don't know why is Grasshopper like the go-to thing for kids' films in Hong Kong now. Because um, they're just like old band guys. <laughs> it's, like, it'd be, it's like saying, hey, we're going to get... Um, the Rolling Stones to be in your kids' movie or something, right? Because they're like old celebrities and, and they work in a kids' movie? I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Well, that... more, more like New Kids on the Block. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. probably a better better comparison. We're, we have to think about millennial market, Paul. I don't, <laughs> I don't think they know who the Rolling Stones are. True, um, true, so. true. Um, you know, so it it's, okay, It who's who, who should watch this? If you're okay with kids' movies that try to be funny but end up being dumb but are not really offensive, you know, they're they're not um, doing things that are going to be too terrible, especially if you've got kids coming into and out of a room, you know, no foul language, that kind of stuff. I mean, this is something you can watch. I mean, if you want to see Louis Koo in a bad wig, you know, there's that. Um, you've got some other cameos here, Louis Yoon and others, I think, you know, Kevin mentioned um, and it it looks okay. I mean, cinema, cinema cinematically and with the effects, it, it looks fine. Um, and so it's just kind of there. Um, is it something you should absolutely go out and buy on Blu-ray? Probably not. Probably not. But um, you know, again, if you're interested in oddball kinds of things, this is definitely as odd as they come. No, this is my altruistic act of the week. Don't watch math. <laughs> Don't do it. Please, for your own sanity, don't do it and pay it forward. And welcome back. So for our West Screen review of this week, it is the third in the trilogy of the recent Apes reboot series. This is War for the Planet of the Apes from director Matt Reeves, who also directed the second film in the series, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. The story here, in the wake of the second film, Caesar and his band of evolved apes are still in conflict with remaining vestiges of humanity, 
When the remnants of a military group called Alpha Omega capture Caesar's tribe to use as slave labor, Caesar infiltrates their base in an attempt to free them. But his desire for revenge against the Alpha Omega leader leads to his own capture and enslavement. So um, this is, you know, I've, I've, I've not really warmed up to the Apes reboot series as much as I would have liked to, especially with the first two films. But I would, will say this is the best of the trilogy, and it's a good conclusion to this arc. Um, I would say that for me, successively, each of the films has been better. Um, the first one I thought was okay. The second one was a little bit better, but really still not what I really wanted from this series. And this one I liked a lot more, and it's gotten closer to what I've been wanting from this series, but it's still a little bit short of my bar of expectations for what I was hoping they would do. Um, the thing that this film does right is it's got some really good referencing to the original films. Um, this is done primarily through a human character uh, that's introduced, a little girl, um, also the, 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 the second son of Caesar. Um, I won't spoil the names here because once you, once you hear those names, you'll know who those characters are and what it's referencing to in, in kind of the old original series. Um, that also sets up some, some problems, though. Um, but I, I, it's it's interesting if they're just kind of throwing that in as a point of reference or as kind of an homage to the original. But if they're really looking at carrying this forward, um, which I'm not sure they are. I've read different sort of conflicting reports. The timeline for things kind of is a little bit problematic, but I'll talk more about that in a moment. The other interesting thing they do with this is the world building because it furthers the world building that starts in the first film, gets touched on a little bit in the second film, um, but goes further here. They talk a little bit more about the simian flu and how that's progressed and started to affect humanity further. And I found all that, that very interesting. Um, I think with the exception of Caesar himself, the apes are just super realistic here. Um, I mean, you really just lose yourself in this movie. And you, you just are not thinking that you are looking at computer-generated things for the most part. Caesar's a little bit different because I guess they give him a little bit more anthropomorphization and a little bit more of sort of the Andy Circus emotes at times because he's kind of the central figure. Um, so he doesn't really look like um, an ape himself. He looks a little bit different. Um, but the other apes just look, you know, fantastic. And Caesar looks fantastic too. He's just fantastic in a slightly oddball way. Um, they introduce some new characters here, including a character called Bad Ape, played by Steve Zahn, which is great for some comic relief, something I felt that the other films didn't have enough of at times. Uh, Woody Harrelson here is kind of, a, here is the bad guy, the um, antagonist, and he's good. Um, when I saw the trailers for this, based on what I saw there, I was kind of thinking it was going to be a bit two-dimensional, um, but his role has a lot more depth than I expected, and uh, I ended up liking him a lot more than I thought I would. There are some things that they don't do here, which I think is really good. They don't, for example, blow up a certain iconic statue, which I figured... Uh, this is the last movie of this trilogy. That's something that, you know, a typical Hollywood producer would say, well, you got to do that. You got to set that up, right? Um, so they don't do that here. There are some other things that they don't do as well. But um, they do set up some other interesting visual imagery, things like the crucifixions, 
the idea of using the apes as slave labor, the idea of an, an ape uprising. These are all things that touch back to elements from um, the original films, particularly Conquest um, for the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. The idea of sort of the, uh, the offshoot groups here. The idea of some religious zealotry also is an undercurrent here, which is something that kind of touches back to the original films. Um, so all of that kind of taking the world a little bit further and developing it a little bit further, I really, really liked. It's interesting, too, that Caesar himself as a character he starts to undergo psychosis. You know, maybe this is further um, escalations of his own move from, you know, ape to super intelligent sentient being because he's haunted by um, what his sort of encounter with Koba from uh, the second film. And so all of that really, you know, builds his character and makes the dynamic of, of him and who he is uh, a lot more interesting. The, um, the idea of, of all of this, though, because where they, they take this, um, I've read that this the last film in this series, that is, you know, the series that's telling Caesar's story, there may be, you know, other films coming, there may be another trilogy coming, but that's going to be a separate thing. Um, and if they're building out of this, basically, with what they've done here, if they're building directly out of it, they've got about 20 years before you would be at a point where you say, okay, here's where Planet of the Apes start. Now, they don't have to do that. They could say, well, Planet of the Apes is going to be hundreds of years, and the things that we see here were just, you know, hints and homages and elements, and that's fine. But if they go with a very current timeline, which they've kind of done for this series, um, you know, with the first film and then the simian flu and then building out, uh, you know, some 18 years after with the next film and then this film, the, if they just go straight forward and say, okay, the next film, Planet of the Apes, the sort of penultimate film, is going to happen 20 years later, the apes are still not really where I think they need to be. And I don't think that would be enough time to get them there. You know, if you really want to say, well, they're going to be a civilization like we see in the original Charlton Heston, Planet of the Apes. Um, because the apes here, they're using basic tools that I guess they developed themselves. They can use technology, but they don't seem to have the capacity to actually create and manufacture um, technology um, to any great extent. And I don't know if 20 years would be enough to get them there. So I don't know if the next film can actually take place in the film universe 20 years down, down the road. Um, but you know, again, it's, it's the movie world, so you can do whatever you want really. Um, but this is still a great setup for the next series, whatever they decide to do with it. And it's the best one of this series in terms of the effects, the visuals, the storytelling. And it's the one that, to me, feels the closest to the kind of films that they were doing um, in the original run. So it's the one that has, again, come as close as possible to the kind of bar of expectations I had for this series. And, you know, that's been an increasing bar throughout the trilogy. And to go out on this level, this, this level of positivity for me um, is a good thing. Uh, Kevin, were you a fan of the original run of movies? No, no, I haven't seen the original film. The first one I watched was Tim Burton's remake, which was terrible. Mm. 
Um, and but I've seen all three films in this trilogy, and and I was actually I wasn't really a big fan of it. Um, I was okay. With, I don't remember anything from the first film. I was okay with the second film, and this film actually converted me. I really like this one. Um, the, the the Matt Reese style is you know it's it's quite it has that you know I know it's intentionally trying to do an apocalypse now and and things like that and I can feel that inspiration and I thought it's very very brave to do the entire film in the point of view of the apes um, that that actually isn't that much spoken dialogue in the film um, I thought it was a very brave decision and I think it bored some Hong Kong audiences because they wanted human dialogue they want to hear people talking and instead most of the movies a lot of the movies in in, in, in sign language uh, but I thought it was incredibly brave and I thought it, it, it was um, very successful um, I think Caesar Andy you know Andy, Andy Circus as Caesar has come a long way and and if any film is going to push him to get that Oscar nomination, I think it's finally time that this film gets him an Oscar nomination because it's amazing work. Um, and yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. Even as someone who doesn't care about the Planet of the Apes world, I thought this film was incredibly well made. The um, the score by Michael Michael um, I forgot his name. Um, I thought the, the score is very good. The drums, the way they're using the war drums kind of thing um, was very unique. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, Woody Harrison was totally doing Marlon Brando, this whole Colonel Kurtz thing. Not not really that successful, but um, I like the whole how it, they turned from um, uh, Apocalypse Now to The Great Escape. Um, I can't say I really was into the Deus, Deus Ex Machina that's in the end, but um, I think overall really inf- really inf- it gripped me from beginning to end, and it's a very I think it's a very uh, interesting way to do a ho- big Hollywood film. Um, like I said, doing it from the point of view <clears throat> of the apes, um, and for that kind of ambition and the way that you know to be as successful as he is. Uh, for Matt Reeves to actually pull it off like this, I think um, I gotta give it credit. I think there's the best film in the trilogy, and for me, I think from here on, I know that you know, I think if it, I know if it, if it makes money, that they're gonna keep making these things, right? Just like X Men, right? I I can only hope that maybe someone else can take over from here and try build a new story out of it, but I can't imagine that it would be better than this chapter of the story. And it does give me a lot of, um, it does raise my anticipation to see how Matt Reeves does uh, Batman. Yeah, he's he's been uh, he's been tagged to do that. So a lot of people were saying that uh, after seeing this, they're they're a bit more um, what uh, satisfied, I guess, <laughs> that he's going to be doing Batman, and it's not going to be um, Batfleck, right? <laughs> well, I knew that I knew that Matt Reeves was very very talented from when I saw um, Let Me In, his uh, remake of Let the Right, right One In. I thought it was an excellent remake, um, and even Cloverfield. I thought actually a directorial point standpoint, it was quite well made. Um, so I've I've always been I wouldn't say a fan, but I've always looked forward to to what Matt Reeves does, except for Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. I don't remember anything <laughs> that movie, but yeah, he actually co-wrote that film. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more.
You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snowser Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via our website at concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at East S West S. And again, I'm going to be posting the uh, Manning's commercial cat commercials there. So you definitely want to check that out, right? Of course you do. Uh, I also urge you to follow along with Kevin and all that he's doing. So, Kevin, where can they find out more about you, sir? Uh, well, theoretically, you can follow me uh, at the website asiaincinema.com. That's www.asiaincinema.com. Unfortunately, I've taken on more translation jobs. So um, I mentioned on a Facebook page that I took on a an, an, uh, very quick subtitling job for a very, very excellent film. I can't name it yet. Um, when the film actually is getting release or get a premiere i can talk about it but it's a really great film and i'm really happy to be on this project um and i also got two more um uh, script translations uh coming up so uh, i'm not sure how when when we'll be back to regular updates but do follow the twitter and the facebook page especially the facebook page because that's where i can do very short bursts uh news posts without having to write an entire story uh so i i'm trying to keep things updated there uh so that you know at least my followers who have something to to look at um so if you go to Facebook or Twitter and search Asia and Cinema, you should be able to find the AIC logo, and that's where you find um, the page. I also write for uh, Cathay Pacific's Discovery Magazine. I'm the entertainment editor, so the entire entertainment section. Uh, same thing for Silk Road's um, – uh, uh, sorry, Cathay Dragon's Silk Road Magazine. Uh, you can read some of my content for the magazine on um, the Discovery website, discovery.cathaypacific.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. Um, that's one word, the Golden Rock. Uh, and you can email me at kevin at asiaincinema.com. All right, excellent. Um, I would urge you to also follow along with uh, our friends over at Podcast on Fire. Um, oh, especially yeah. because uh, Kevin was a recent guest there and his episode dropped. You know, he sat down with uh, Kenneth and they talked about uh, a couple of melodrama films. This is starting off their melodrama season. And it was C'est la vie, mon and also All About Along. So it's an excellent episode. Please do, you know, stop by and give that a listen when you get a chance. Thanks for, uh, thanks for, uh, Helping me push my own show. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Our next episode, episode 235. Um, I have a thought, and I'm going to – I didn't talk about this with Kevin yet, so we're going to do this live. We're doing it live uh, here on the show. Do you want to talk about Dunkirk, sir? Yes, yes, because okay. I will be doing something special with this film this weekend. I can talk about it when I come back, but – yeah, let, let's do Dunkirk. All right. Well, I'm gonna um, let you do Dunkirk because Dunkirk, Dunkirk is a war film, and I, I'm that I just don't think I can go out and and, and watch that. Um, but I'll, I think we'll do a West Screen special, right? You can do Dunkirk, and I will come back and talk about Valerian and the City of a Thousand bombing films, which apparently this is bombing, <laughs> but it's one I'm still looking forward to seeing. Um, do you think that'll work for an episode? Yes, yes. That I, I was actually thinking, kind of thinking about that because there's no e-screen film to watch this week. So, um, yeah, we can do that. All right. Definitely. So, 
all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying meow, 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 meow. And we'll see you next time. Meow, 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 everybody. Uh-huh.